Well, while you're standing, let's, let's read the word of the Lord. I know you've been standing for a while, but um, let's honor the word of God. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Here's what it says. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, welcome. Um, My name is Heath. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be worshiping with you. We continue today in our journey through the letter of 1 Thessalonians. Now, um, let's try something together, shall we? And um, will you help me out? Don't, don't leave me hanging up here. Um, the first, first service did, did fantastic, and they joined with me, so um, help me out. If I were to say Marco, you might say Marco. Marco. All right, good, good start. If we were at a game, high school, college ball game, And if I were to say go, you might say, (laughs) sharks. So at first service, somebody said A's. No, no, go fight. Go, go. All right, let's say we're at the same game. And let's say I do this. We will... Excellent, excellent. All right, we got it. All right, so let's reach back. Let's go to something with a little more depth and and gravity. Let's say I were to sing beautifully, which I won't. Swing low, sweet chariot. What would the response be? Coming forward to carry me home. Beautiful, thank you. (laughs) If I say he is risen, we would say... He's risen indeed. Call and response. Often called Antiphony is this beautiful, connective singing, a melodic dialogue back and forth. Back and forth. Singer, choir, leader, congregation, truth, and amen. This basic and powerful form song is ancient. It's in the Psalms. It was heard resonating throughout the temple of Yahweh for centuries. And the church throughout centuries has praised with it. Gospel music is bursting with it. Spirituals are spirituals because of it. It courses through classical music, through blues, through jazz, through rock, through rap. None of these would be what they are without that call and response. Call and response 
This is the way the universe works. Call and response. This is the rhythm of reality. Call and response. This is the way of things. In the beginning, God calls. And existence was the response. God calls. And light shines. God calls and water flows. God calls and rock and soil rises. God calls and plants flower and fruit. God calls and creatures swim. God calls and creatures fly. God calls and creatures run. God calls and he breathes and human beings become. As creatures of a God who speaks, of a God who calls, we always, we always respond in some way. It's of our very nature as creatures to respond in some way to our Creator. So the question, though, is how? How do we respond to the God who speaks, to the God who calls, to the God who sings to us and draws us into His song? Well, today in our passage, Paul addresses this call and response of life. And in our text today, Paul expresses thanks to God for the Thessalonians' response to God's call. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy limped into Thessalonica somewhere around 49 and 50 A.D., some 20 years or so after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they came to town bearing the wounds and the bruises of their sufferings for preaching the good news of Jesus. And in that large and bustling city, one obsessed with power and money, obsessed with comfort, self, and sex, one steeped in idolatry, one loud with countless gods and narratives clamoring for who or what should be worshipped in that city, the gospel was preached, and the church of Thessalonica was born. And so Paul, now writing a little bit later to that young and persecuted church, he thanks God for how they received the word that he brought. So let's reread verse 13 and hear it out loud and let it get into us. And we also thank God constantly for this. What is that? This that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Paul thanks God that they received his message as they did. And Paul knows that their good reception is due ultimately to God. He thanks God for their reception, not, not the Thessalonians. He attributes their reception ultimately to God. See, God has done something. God acted first. God initiates. God spoke. God said yes to the Thessalonians through the work of Jesus Christ. You know, in, in God's um, providence this, this past week... Um, I started the new or the next book in the Narnia series, the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I started the next book with my son Silas. He's eight, and uh, we, we picked up uh, the Silver Chair, which happens to be uh, one of my favorites. 
Um, and right near the beginning of it, um, we get introduced to a, a guy named Eustace and a, Jill, a, guy, a girl named Jill. So it's Eustace and Jill. And uh, Jill at one point is speaking to Aslan. And Aslan has a task for them. And um, he said, this is why I called you. And she says, nobody called us. We, we called out to come here, as they had called out earlier back on earth. <laughs> and then Aslan says these words. He says, you would not have called out unless I had been calling to you. What a profound truth that's so simply and beautifully in narrative form. Now, how have they received the word that has come to them there in Thessalonica? Well, they received it as the word of God. It's not received as the opinions of men. It was not received as the persuasive speech of a rhetorician, a traveling communicator who knew how to tickle ears and, and make money. It was not received as the philosophy of a sage. It was not received as the guru uh, as the wisdom of some guru, it was altogether different. It's qualitatively different. It was the very word of God. It was God, their maker, speaking to them through a messenger, a miracle of a message. And what is the word? Well, when we think of the word of God, at least I do, I think of the Bible, and that's true, for it is. Right? The Bible is the God-breathed, authoritative Word of God. And though it is written down with the words of men, it is the Word of God inspired by His Spirit. But when Paul is writing this, this passage doesn't simply mean the Bible as we know it, because the New Testament is still being written at that time, correct? In fact, 1 Thessalonians is being written and will become part of the Scriptures. What is meant here by the Word of God is the Word about Jesus. The gospel, the good news of his life, his death, his resurrection on the third day, and the fact that he now sits on the throne of the universe, ruling and reigning. Now, in telling this good news, Paul would have opened up the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, and showed how the whole thing pointed to Jesus from the very start. So it is true that the Bible is the God breathe humanity pen story-shaped library that leads us to encountering Jesus. Now, let's not think of this word merely as content. Let's not think of it merely as content, but presence as well. There's somehow much more than just data and information, bytes and bits of knowledge. It is living and active. See how Paul says in our verse that it is at work in them. The word has agency. God's word works. It worked at creation when everything came to life. It works in redemption and restoration as we come to life as he speaks over us. See, God's word is his self-expression through his spirit. His self-expression through His Spirit. His Word is truly living and active, breathing life and bringing life. And His Word and His Spirit go together, don't they? He speaks with His, with his breath. He said, let there be light, and there was. He said, and there was. He said, and there was. And all the while, the Spirit is there hovering, bringing order out of chaos. 
Now, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which means wind or breath. So do, do me a favor. Maybe just pull this down just real quick like that. And put, put your hand in front of your mouth, about an inch in front of your mouth. And let's say this word together. It's ruach. Okay? So let's say it together. Ruach. You felt it, right? You felt it. That's the, that's the breath that is coming out. Breath and spirit and word all wrapped up here together. See, God, through his spirit, was present in the preaching of the truth of who Jesus was and what he did. And that word of life is alive and kicking and growing in the hearts of the Thessalonians. Now, I know that's a bit hard to understand um, and is mysterious. It's hard for me to understand. But it seems to me that if we're talking about the very ground of being, how we came into existence and how God brings life, I don't know, it seems there should be a little bit of mystery involved in that. And I don't think we do it justice if we strip the mystery out and say, I got it. Now, look at how the Apostle Peter talks about the Word of God. Maybe this will help us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. Another letter in the New Testament. Here's what Peter says. He says, you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The the grass withers and, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And the word is the good news that was preached to you. The word about Jesus. The spirit infused word about Christ. Now, he quotes there, speaking of the the grass and the flower, um, he's quoting Isaiah 40, verse 6. So if you'd like to read that in context later today or this week, I would suggest you do so because it will actually bring more weight to what we're talking about today. Isaiah 40, verse 6. Now, that's wonderful, isn't it? Seed. Seed. The Word of God is like a supernatural seed. Word of God has the power of life in it, like a seed. And seeds are amazing things, aren't they? Like the, the possibility of a whole forest curled up in a tiny little seed. A juicy food-producing plant that brings nourishment to our bodies. It's all wound tight in a little hard pebble-like thing. Mostly unseen. The growth of it sneaks up on you until you realize, oh, there's life there. Springtime. So I figure this is an appropriate time to to talk about this. On your way in, I imagine you are seeing all sorts of things bursting to life out there. Seeds that were planted months, a year ago, shoved into the, the dark of the dirt, now are in the light, bearing fruits, creating the fragrances that we smell. You know, my kids marvel at seeds. 
they marvel at seeds. We, so we, we've, <laughs> we've reworked our backyard into something of, of what I like to call like a little micro-Eden. <laughs> uh, we got some fruit trees, and we got, we got flowers, and we got all these, all these plants now. And, and my son Silas, he loves to point out when there's, there's new life, when one of those like dead-looking sticks suddenly produces something out of it, right? Like magic. There's a blossom. He'll, he'll find a blossom, a bud, or a little piece of fruit, and be like, Daddy, look. His eyes widen. It's like magic to him because it's actually like magic. The problem is sometimes as we grow older, we grow wonderblind. We can't see the magic that is right before us. It's miraculous that a life is in the seed. See, I could go inside into our, our little playroom and I could find one of the millions of little beads that they play with, you know, that they'd put on necklaces or, or bracelets. And, or um, find a little Lego, you know, one of those, those little Legos that you step on that kill your feet, right? Find one of those. Um, or I could go into the garage and find a, a, a nut or, or a bolt or a BB and I could take that in the backyard and I can shove it into the dirt and I can water it day in and day out, day in and day out, and let the sun, all the sun of the cosmos, all its light shine on it. And what's going to happen? Nothing. It won't sprout and bring forth life. It just won't. But if I take a seed and put it in the ground, and I water it, and let the sun do its work, well, you know, you might have a lime tree. You might have a fig tree. You might produce lemons or, or oranges. There's life in the seed, mysteriously, marvelously. The life is in the seed. And the Word of God is an imperishable seed. An agent of life that enters into us and grows and grows and grows. And it, it seems to me that the Word of God is a lot more wonderful and deserving of respect than we often might give it. It's not just content. It's not just data. And in, the, in a world that is, um, well, we're in the information age, and so we're used to, to bits and bytes of, of data coming at our way, zeros and ones, like um, snippets of information coming our way, and, and we just process these things. And so we're used to messages being conceived of as simply data. But the Word of God is more than data or information. There is presence. The author of Hebrews says that the Word of God is living and active, at work within us. Paul says the same thing here, the Word of God, this imperishable seed that causes us to be born again is bursting with life, is at work within the Thessalonians. So to encounter God's Word is not just to hear some information and think it through, but it is to experience the presence of the breath of His Spirit. He's speaking to us when we hear His Word. So call and response. In response, God calls to the Thessalonians and the chaos that they live. And they respond in trust. They receive God's word and it begins to grow in them. His spirit hovers with them and order comes out of the chaos. 
next in our passage, Paul goes on to say how he knows that the Thessalonians have received the word, truly, how they've truly received it as God's word, and what it is doing within them as it works. So let's pick up at verse 14. Try to make sense of this. For you, brothers, see Paul's always using familial terms, brothers and sisters, we're a family in Christ. For you, brothers, become imitators, uh, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. That's the area where Jerusalem is. It's that area of, of Israel where the first churches were. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Now, Paul knows the word has been received and the word of God is working in them. He knows it's been truly received as the word of God because of their rejection and because of how they faithfully endured suffering with the spirit of joy. For they have become like the churches in Judea, he says, the first churches. They suffered because of their trust in Jesus. And this is the pattern, as you go through the scripture, this is the pattern over and over again. Trust in God brings suffering amidst a broken world that is in repair. Why? Well, trust in the true king has all the false kings angry and violent. Trust in the one worthy of praise has all the people who are plaguing God upset. Trust in the one who is the truth has all the people of the lie up in arms. See, going the right way in a wrong way world brings friction. And we know that. You, you swim upstream and you get resistance. You take your hand and, and you rub it across against the grain and you're going to get the splinters. Going the right way in a wrong way world brings about friction. And the Thessalonians became just like the churches in Judea and just like Jesus and just like the prophets who were persecuted and who were rejected for bearing witness to the truth. And this trust in Jesus was not a fair-weather thing. It was real, it was true, it was solid, and it brought conflict and rejection. It takes the working of the Word within us to faithfully endure like the Thessalonians did. To stand firm when all the pressures crush us. In other words, Paul saw real-life change. He saw real-life change in the Thessalonians. God had taken selfish hearts of stone. He had breathed on them, brought them to life, and filled them with love. Now, in these verses here, we all see what that work was, what the, the Word was doing within them. And that mighty work, that amazing work, that, that needful work was this, conforming them 
to the image of Christ, making them like Jesus. That is our purpose. That is why we are here on this earth, that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus, that we might live and love like him and be in right relationship with the Father, drawn into that eternal love. That is why we are here. Like Jesus, those Thessalonians, they lived a countercultural way. They lived a cruciform life, picking up their cross daily, dying to themselves, refusing to bow to the pressures and to the lies of this world, loving others at great cost to themselves. And this is the way of truly living. This is the new way of the Christian life, of professing Jesus as king and loving others. And then this news spread far and wide. See, this, this um, suffering is a redemptive suffering. Because here's what happened. Uh, all the people in this region of Macedonia and beyond started to hear stories because they knew this great uh, affliction, this crushing pressure that was on this church. Yet they responded with, with joy and, and love for those who afflicted them. And so when you hear that kind of thing, you wonder how somebody can do that. And because of that affliction pushing on them, the news spread far and wide. So therefore the gospel went far and wide and people came to be saved because of that persecution that was coming on the Thessalonians. Christ suffered and the good news has come to us in the, in the world. This, the Thessalonians suffered and the good news then went all throughout the land. Their suffering functioned to bring the news of salvation to others. Now, um, that said, did you catch the last bit of this passage when I read it? Maybe you cringed a little bit. You're like, ooh, I don't, whoa, what's going on there? Um, the Jews who killed Jesus, those who displease God and hinder the gospel and the wrath to come. I should say something about this, I think. Um, this is not anti-Semitism. This is not Racism in any way, shape, or form. Recall that Paul, Jesus, and the disciples were what? Jewish. I know sometimes in our culture we want to make them all Caucasian. They are thoroughly Jewish. This is not racism. So what is Paul hitting on? What, what is he going after here? Well, what Paul is hitting on here goes all the way back to the call and response nature of reality. So let me try to explain this here for, for a moment, if you would. See, all of life, all of life is a response to God's word. All we are, say, and do is a response in some way to God's word. We do respond to him. And it's either in trust or untrust. And trust leads to flourishing. And untrust leads to ruin. Saying no to a good God is saying yes to all sorts of bad things. And saying no to his blessing leads us to experience cursing. So again, all we are, all we say and do is in some way a form of response to God's word. We either receive his word of life and partner with him in his work, or we reject it and oppose him in his work. I believe that's a really important sentence. All we are, say, and do is in some way a form of response to God's word. We either receive his word of life and partner with him 
in his work of restoration in this world, or we reject it and we oppose him in his work. This is the tremendous either-or of existence. This is the tremendous either-or of our life. It's the big question, the great divide. All we do can be divided this way. You know, it was said that when Jesus came, he would bring a sword. How is the Prince of Peace the one who brings a sword? Because he is the one who shows us reality. And if we trust in him, then we flourish. But if we don't, then we enter into destruction. This is the great either or. How do we respond to Christ? God's word is a revelation of reality. It's not heed it. It's to live in deception and to invite destruction. This is why, by the way, Christianity is always going on and on and on about this thing called faith. Faith, 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 faith. And it's not because it's trying to steer us away from from reason. It's quite the opposite. Because the only reasonable way to live in this world as a dependent and limited creature is to trust in the God who has made it all. The only reasonable way to live in this kind of world as a finite, dependent little creature is to trust in the God who has made it. He knows what it is. He knows who you are. He knows how it all ought to be. He is to be trusted. And those, now to get back to our verse here, and those best primed to trust him because of centuries and centuries of care and covenanting and showing his faithfulness, even at great cost to himself, centuries of his faithfulness. See, those who are best primed to receive him as a God worthy of trust, rejected him even though they had the oracles or the scripture, the words of God given to them. And when Jesus shows up, the word shows up in flesh, he's not received, he's rejected by his own. So again, everyone responds in some way to God. God is unavoidable, God is. The question is, is our response one of reception or rejection? So in this difficult passage, Paul is saying that those who should have received the word, his people, the Jewish people, had rejected Jesus. They are going against the grain of reality, and now they are experiencing the splinters. They are now experiencing wrath. They deny the truth. They are those who oppose mankind and hinder the mission, and the wrath of God is already at work in them as they refuse the way of life, as they reject the truth. God had said yes to them in Jesus Christ, but they said no to him. God called out in perfect love, love even unto death on a cross. But they said no to him. God called, but they would not respond in harmony. And you know, when you think about it, all of life, all of life is, is a battle of narratives. It's a war of words, of words. It's a war of words. Competing calls, calls to life, calls to death, calls to chaos, calls to order. Every day, just like today, every day you and I wake up and we are confronted with the choice of what voice we will listen to. Every day we are confronted with the choice of what voice we are going to listen to. Is it a sweet one or is it a serpentine one? Is it a loving one or is it a mocking one? 
You know, what do we reach for first thing when we wake up? Do we reach for a device in order to fill our head and our hearts with the opinions of men and women? Or do we reach for something that has the word of God that we might feast on it and be nourished and have clear perspective so now that we know how to deal with and parse all the opinions that come our way, all the narratives that come at us? Because there are many. They're legion. Will we listen to the word of God about what is real, what is good, what is beautiful, and what is true? Or will we listen to an alternative voice, another story, another take on reality? Will we listen to the narrative about what success is, or what what marriage is, or about what love is, or about what gender is from last night's Netflix viewing? provided through crafty storytelling and shimmering visual production. I'm not against good media. I'm not against good storytelling. I'm not against watching things. But we need to listen to what narratives are being put forward. Will we listen to the spirit of our age that tells us authenticity is king? Individualism is where it's at, that the self is sovereign, that no one should hold you back, that you should follow your heart no matter what. It doesn't matter how many people you run over on the way to get what you want. Follow your heart. We listen to the voice that says any form of authority is just a power play. So question all traditions. You can't trust the church. Look what they've done throughout the ages. You can't trust the scriptures. It's just a power play. Do we listen to the voice that says all bids for equality are equally good and true? Or will we hear the voice of God and know that Jesus is king and he is the one to submit ourselves to? See, God called to the Thessalonians and they responded with a yes. And that yes brought flourishing even amidst their suffering. The word of God worked in them. And it grew, bearing fruit. And God God has called to us. And the thing is, guys, he's still calling to us. He's calling to us in this very moment through his word, through his scriptures that point us to Jesus, the word made flesh. God calls to us with a life-giving yes, and that yes took on flesh and bone. That yes is Jesus Christ himself. So let us respond to him with a yes. And maybe you've never responded to Jesus with a yes. Maybe you have never entered into that call and response with your creator and you are here or watching and this is all all new to you now is the time today is the day of salvation he is singing out a call to you respond with a yes and you will have an opportunity to do that as we enter into communion and if you've known jesus if you are, have already sang this beautiful song back and forth with him, and you have said yes, say yes again and again and again as you look upon Christ through his word. It is the good thing to do, to say yes to God's good word to you. He's calling, so let us respond. For today we come not with the word of men, but with the word of God. Now in closing, let me offer this this last thought. As those who are his apprentices, who are following after him, let us not underestimate the power of meditating on God's word. 
Let's not underestimate the power of meditating on his word, listening to what he says, hearing his voice about how reality works and and who we are and who he is, and letting that get into our system and, and metabolizing that and living in accordance with that. And let us not think little about speaking God's word to others. This, this hit me like, like a ton of bricks this week. Like how often, how often do, do I place the power in, in my explanation or in my summation or in my opinion or in some ability to, to tell somebody something in a way that it just might make sense to them? And suddenly I've shifted the focus of the power from God's word, God speaking to them, and me being the one who has the power. It's not the case. For the power of life is in the seed of God's word. I could shove beads and glass and BBs and Legos into the ground all day, but nothing will grow unless it's God's word. The power of life is in the seed of God's word, not in explanations, summations, or opinions. So let's plant life-filled seeds, shall we? Let's speak God's word. Let's proclaim the gospel. So today, may God renew our hearts with a truer and more glorious and marvelous vision of his working, life-giving word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the great gardener the one who has put seed into earth, a seed that died, a seed that bore life, resurrection life, that seed being Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word that brings life to us. Father, I pray that your word right now is working in us, causing us to grow. And for those who may have never said yes to you, would would this time at the table of grace be a a marker for for life and eternity of their their yes, their response to your glorious and good call? We love you. We need you. May we hear you today. It is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.